Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 21 of the Trop Rock 101 podcast from Pirates and Poets. I am your host, John Burns, and really appreciate you being with us today. This episode features a conversation with singer-songwriter Michelle Becker, uh, who you may know as one half of the award-winning duo Latitude, along with her husband, Tom. Uh, and she, along with Tom, are the co-founders of the Trop Rock Music Association, formerly known as the Margarita Mafia. Uh, I have known Michelle for 13, 14 years now, and uh, I don't get to see her very often. Uh, our paths really only cross every couple of years, uh, but always enjoy seeing her and Tom both when I do, so I really enjoyed this conversation, and we really got into a lot of stuff, a lot of topics that I've heard Michelle talk about uh, at songwriter shows before or privately, but uh, I was excited to get some of this stuff on tape, uh, just to preserve the history of Trapper Rock, to preserve the history of our uh, genre and our community. Before I tell you more about the interview, though, I do want to tell you about some new t-shirts and tank tops that we have in the Pirates and Poets store. They're pretty simple. They just say, I heart live music. I, a big heart, graphic, live music. So, if you are missing live music... The way I am, the way many of us are, and you want to show your support for all your favorite musicians, instead of figuring out which band t-shirt you're going to wear today, you can just wear an I Heart Live Music shirt from Pirates and Poets and support everybody all at once. Anyway, you can pick those up in the Pirates and Poets store, piratesandpoets.net. Look it up. Back to the interview. Um, Michelle Becker uh, grew up in Boston. Uh Something that I learned in this interview is that her dad was a musician, uh, both a performing musician and he worked uh, in the music retail sector. So she pretty much grew up around music from the day she was born. Uh, We talk about her time in Nashville really in-depth, more in-depth than I've ever really heard Michelle talk about that aspect of her life. Talk about meeting Tom, uh, how they kind of worked through the long-distance thing to become a couple, uh, and then ended up moving to Myrtle Beach to become a uh, working couple and uh became trop rock musicians without even really knowing that's what they were doing uh and we're all really lucky that they did because the things they have done uh for their fellow musicians away from the stage as the founders of the margarita mafia and then the trma and the people who started the award show what they have done uh for their fellow artists and the community as a whole cannot be um overstated um, the guidance and the direction and just the name, having a name for this is so valuable. And Tom and Michelle, uh, I guess I should say Michelle and Tom for this, uh, they made that happen. And uh, especially for folks who, who have kind of come into the Trap Rock scene since, say, 2010 or so, um, a lot of people really only know Tom and Michelle as these people who help put the genre on the map. Um, I think at this point, if, if you've only gotten into trop rock in the last 10 years or so you probably don't appreciate tom and michelle as musicians they are extremely talented uh performers and songwriters and vocalists um as michelle mentions in the uh, interview she had a record deal in nashville was under artist development uh tom toured with the new crystal ministries uh new christy minstrel sorry and uh yeah they are at this point, 2021, probably vastly underrated as songwriters, vocalists, and performers. So keep that in mind. Go check out Latitude's recorded music. Catch him a live show when you get a chance. Um, also, it was pretty funny. Uh, after we wrapped up the interview, 
uh, Michelle sent me a text and said, by the way, I forgot to mention that uh, 2021 marks 25 years of latitude. So congratulations, guys. And uh, I think that's it. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here it is, Michelle Becker. So Tom was already familiar with, with Buffett and um, he had already been playing a lot of that music and things before I met him. And so I, I had learned it through Tom. I got into the music through Tom, but it really wasn't until we left Nashville and moved to the beach and moved to the Myrtle Beach area that we, you know, we're living at the beach. There's way more parrot heads, way more Jimmy Buffett fans, you know, all, all around us. And we just kept getting asked to play more and more of that music. So we just got deeper, deeper into the well of Jimmy Buffett. And then, of course, writing our own music in that style was just a natural progression. Gotcha. So you weren't, you really didn't know much about Buffett other than maybe the handful of hits yeah. before, before you met Tom. Right. Wow. Right. I, w- I would have, uh, there's, I there's a woman to blame, but in this case, there's a dude. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, in that case, let's just go back to the beginning. You are from the Boston area. That's where you grew up. Yep. And I, I don't know that a lot of people, especially folks who, uh, who aren't more than, uh, who aren't a hardcore latitude fan knows that. So you grew up in new England. what did you listen to growing up? What, what was on the um, radio? What was in your, whatever, I, you know, you can tell probably by my songwriting that I had a lot of different influences. So my dad, um, worked at a piano store. That's how come I'm a keyboard player. And my dad was a jazz drummer. So I had all of that music in my house. And so I had a lot of the Motown and jazz and soul. And my mom loved theater and musicals. And in my Christmas stocking every year, I got tickets to see a musical. And then I loved all the music that was happening, you know, at my age, whatever that age was. So inside of my head is all of this different styles, different genres uh, of music. And then as a songwriter, you just kind of, take all those influences and you, and you come up with something that is uniquely yours. So your dad was a drummer who worked at a keyboard, a piano store. Yeah. My godfather uh, it w- it was a, is a fabulous uh, pianist and he got my dad the job at the piano store. And so we had a piano and an organ in our house and I wanted to play violin because we had a piano and an organ in our house. So, gotcha. um, yeah, so I started out on the violin because I hated piano because it was in my house. And then um, when my dad eventually sold this beautiful grand piano and got an up- upright piano, that's when I realized I really like to sing and violin is not the best instrument for that. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back to my dad and say, oh, I changed my mind. I really want to play piano. <laughs> but yeah, my dad was a, my dad was a jazz drummer and he also played in wedding bands and things like that all my years growing up so every kind of music was yeah so i just i just feel like there should be a song about the drummer that worked at the piano store i'm just (laughs) gonna say that (laughs) isn't it funny yeah yeah so you grew up around the music around you know that was from a really young age for you what point did you start performing in any capacity well i was really really shy so I loved music and I, I played music. And in fact, just to backtrack on this, I loved the drums because my dad was a drummer. My dad said, you are not going to play drums. You know, and I said, <laughs> I love drums. And he said, 
trust me, you're not going to play drums because you're the first person at the gig and the last person out of there and you don't want to play drums. He said, play piano. All you need are your fingers and you just go in there and play. So that was his selling point on the piano. But <laughs> <laughs> again, for me, um, I just always, I always loved loved music. I loved listening to music. And then um, in third grade, we were offered the opportunity to play violin and I fell in love with violin. So my first performing anywhere in front of people was at violin concerts and then in chorus at school and then more so later as a singer. But I was so shy. It really, really wasn't until high school that I felt comfortable doing anything by myself that wasn't part of a group. Gotcha. And then uh, did you move to Nashville, like right out of high school or what'd you do for college? I went to college in Boston. Okay. I, I was a communications major, TV, radio and film. Cause I figured, you know, I, I understood the music and I love the music, but I probably should learn how some of this other stuff works. So I went to school to learn about that. And I continued with my lessons all through college. In fact, I got a scholarship to college and I asked them if I could use the scholarship to take voice lessons instead. And they let me do that. So um, that was awesome. Um, but anyway, I never loved cold weather. I never loved snow. And I told my family, I love you all, but I'm, I'm out of here. Like I'm so out of here. And I left the day after I graduated from college with a gig in Nashville. I was, I was hired to be a performer at Opryland. So I left with a gig day after I graduated. <laughs> that's a, that's a better plan than most people have when they go to Nashville. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily a plan. I mean, I auditioned and they actually hired me. If they didn't hire me, I would have had to come up with a different way, but that was the way that worked for me. And that way actually introduced me to all of the, the band members in the orchestra. And my intention was to be a studio singer, a session singer and, and a songwriter. So that got me entrenched in the music community with all the people who were coming to Nashville to do sessions. And so that's how I started getting into the session work in Nashville was through my contacts at Opryland. Yeah. I th don't quote me on this, but I really feel like Tom Shepard ran sound and stuff at Opryland. And I <gasps> did he really? Yeah. I don't know. I, I think the timing probably wasn't right for y'all to have been there at the same time, but that's funny. Might've been, but who knows? Oh man. That's funny. I'm gonna have to find out about that. Yeah. I, that, that filtered a lot of, a lot of people came through Opryland either, you know, as musicians, as artists. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people came out of there. The band Little Texas, they were all there when I was there. Oh, and wow. Shows, Skip Ewing. Oh, my gosh. Tons, tons yeah. of singer songwriters coming out of there. We were all just there. Grateful to have a gig, uh, you know, learning the craft and, and making connections. Yeah, that's pretty. Oh, I'm going to have to call Tom up when we get off here and investigate yeah. that because I, yeah. I kind of feel like the timelines are probably off a little bit, but it might have happened. Y'all might have been there at the same time. But so, even so, we probably know some of the same people. Oh, yeah, from, I'm, from I'm sure. There, for sure. I'm sure. That's so, another way we know people mutually. Yeah. yeah so uh, when did you start having an interest in writing songs? Was that a before Nashville thing or did that happen more after you got there? Always. Always. I, I started writing songs when I was like 10. Oh, wow. Yeah, always. And uh, so that's just always been part of your part of your arsenal then as an artist. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I really, yeah, I, I really wanted to be a songwriter, but there weren't a whole lot of women songwriters that I could relate to, you know, Carol King and people. There just weren't a lot. 
you know, so I didn't really know how possible that was for me, you know, as a woman, but I knew I was going to get in there and just give it my best shot. And, and there were people, quite frankly, when I was in Nashville, it's that I don't like to write with women songwriters and there's all kinds of stuff. And so there's people like Coley and I that are like, you know, man, we write songs. We're not writing songs for women. We're not writing songs for men. We're just writing songs and, right. and it's getting better. It's getting much better uh, for the newer, for the newer songwriters out there. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's different for sure. Yeah. So at some point you, you went to Nashville with the gig at Opryland and at some point you transitioned to more of the, the studio work, the session work, how'd that transition happen? And, and you got to work with some pretty cool people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, again, because of everything's a natural progression. If you, I'm sure you're hearing this over and over on your show, but um, you know, the, the contacts that I met in Nashville, the very first people I met in Nashville were the people I was working with at Opryland and they had contacts in the publishing industry. They had contacts you know, in the sessions. And so I would start getting called for sessions. And through that networking, I was also getting called for road gigs, which, you know, I did a little bit of that too, backup singing and, and singing on the Grinnell Opry and stuff like that. I was a sub a lot of times, you know, I just knew people and they said, I can't make this gig, you know, can you fill in for me? And then I would meet those musicians and those people. And it just, it just kind of blossoms from there. So how long were you in Nashville? Well, and you met Tom in while you were in Nashville, right? Or while you yeah. were living. Yeah. So how long were you in Nashville prior meeting Tom? How long was or time period are we talking about here? Uh, let's see. Uh, I was in Nashville for, for 12 years. And I think probably maybe I met Tom year 10 and a half or something like that. Um, uh, but, but that was an interesting thing because Tom was in Nashville the whole time that, that I was there, but we never met. And when I met Tom, he had recently moved to Vail, Colorado, and he was back doing some songwriting and visiting uh, with his daughter from his first marriage. So we were introduced as songwriters and he was living in Vail and I was living in Nashville. I had um, an artist development deal with BMG, which is now Universal Music Group. And so I was like living my dream and I was doing my thing and they were shopping, you know, I had done my record deal stuff. They were shopping my deal and he was over there playing the ski resorts. He loves that stuff and he was doing his thing and he was happy and I was happy. Um, and we just were songwriters writing songs together whenever he was in town or whenever we had ideas we thought we could co-write with. And that, that went on for about, well, a good number of months. And then we started with songwriting, you know, you have to kind of know a person a little bit. That's how you get to writing content. So a lot, right. of, a lot of the songwriting is just talking about your life. So um, ultimately things shifted and we started talking more about our life and less about <laughs> songwriting. <laughs> so, so we were getting fewer songs accomplished, but we were learning more about each other. And, and that really basically was a long distance relationship for almost a year until he um, thought it would be better to go back to Nashville to live just from a music standpoint. And then also so that we could be together as an actual couple in the same town um, to see what that would look like. So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you've got to go listen to my interview with Coley because up until this point that, that this whole Nashville story and knowing Tom through it's the same story. I mean, 
95 <laughs> percent of great? it matches up yeah so Isn't that it's crazy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh so the the really funny story that you've told on stage a few times that i've heard at least about tom writing the song and all that you, you we got to put that on tape now what the song that he wrote for me yes oh we have, we have to tell that story <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, so like I said, this was a long distance relationship and I was happy where I was. He was happy where he was. And we just didn't, you know, we were cheerleaders for each other. We weren't really quite sure uh, how this could ever resolve. Um, But we were just kind of going with the flow, see what happens. And like I said, we had started a long distance relationship uh, where I would see him when he came into town and we'd go out and that was pretty much it. So, um, he booked us a gig actually in Vail and it was over the July 4th weekend. And so I flew out to Colorado. It was my first time flying out there to see him. Uh, and so, um, you know, we're still kind of in the early dating. How do we do this thing? Uh, relationship phase. And he took me to this beautiful scenic Vista and he opened up the hatch he had a Jeep at the time, opened up the back, pulled the guitar out and played this song that, that he wrote uh, for me called Oh Colorado. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. Um, so his effort was, his attempt was to um, have me fall. The lyrics kind of are about kind of having me or asking me <laughs> to consider falling in love with Colorado um, at the same time as I was falling in love with him. Uh, and so half of that ended up working out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, I am not, I am not a wintertime person. And to just drive that home, uh, like I said, it was July 4th weekend when he played me that song and he wanted me to be open-minded about maybe pot- potentially moving to Colorado. And it snowed. It snowed on July 3rd in Vail, Colorado. And I was like, dude, you know what? I, you know, I don't know how this thing's going to work out, but I'm pretty sure the Colorado part is not going to be in the equation because, you know what? I mean, I'm from just outside of Boston and it doesn't snow in July there. And I thought that was too much snow. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is the kind of stuff you can't make up. Really, He got half of it right, at least. You he know, got so. half of it. He got half of it. But oh, my gosh, I'm like it snows in July. What is that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, a few years ago, Jerry. And the full band got a gig in Colorado in like late April. And I, I didn't go on this trip, um, but they're sending, actually Earl went on the trip with them. It's kind of the, you know, road manager, merch guy, that kind of thing. He's sending me pictures of it snowing as they're playing. And I'm going, yeah. oh my God, like what kind of world is this? You know, it's like, <laughs> no, no, July. No. Yeah. Mm-mm, not good. No. No. So at some point he wised up and came back to Nashville and you, huh? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, and, and to be honest, I, I, I said, I'm open-minded. You know, if you think that you can get me some work, we get some work out there. I, I will look into it. I will not love it, but I will give it an effort just so that we could be in the same place. But ultimately, I mean, because he lived in Nashville for all those years and his daughter lived in Nashville. I mean, it just made the most sense, you know, for him to, to come back to Nashville and pick up where he left off versus me going out there and starting from the beginning. Cause our intention was never to work together either. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah, because, because I had my artist development deal and he, you know, he was just a 
solo singer, songwriter, acoustic. And I mean, at the time I had an 11 piece band. I mean, we were, we were very different and we were going in very different places musically. Yeah. So you were, you were probably more straight ahead Nashville country and he was more the John Denver. Folky and yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because to work together, we thought, I don't know, what we would, what would we play? <laughs> what would we sing? You know, we're just, we, you know, we we're very, very different. You know, we, we knew each other, the songs that we covered, but it was just not in our wheelhouse. Right. And, and then eventually you end up helping basically start a whole new genre that is the melting pot <laughs> of all, all kinds of crazy stuff. So <laughs> That's like the best thing ever. <laughs> and, and that, well, and that happened because um, moving to the Myrtle Beach area in that part of the country, they have a style of music called Carolina Beach music. And mm -hmm. so that is um, only it's kind of like a Motown type of a thing. It's a soulful type of a style of music. Anyway, they have their own music. They have their own genre. They have their own awards. They have their own radio stations. And so, you know, I was there and I was a little bit a, a part of that. I mean, some of the songs that I wrote were played on the beach music stations, like following the coastline and some of the songs like that. So I was learning about how these little pocket niches of genres have, you know, they have their own fan base, they have their own thing. And so when I started to get in more involved into what is now trop rock, um, you know, I was realizing, I thought, no, we don't call this thing anything. I mean, you know, uh, Jerry was calling it Gulf Western. People were calling it American Caribbean and this, some people were calling it trop rock. And so I, I, I just kind of felt like we needed just pick something and call it the same thing so right. that we can exist under an umbrella and everybody can find us. So that, that was the whole reason to create, you know, what is now the trop rock music association. Right. And, uh, on that note, you know, every once in a while somebody pops up and they're like, uh, this is a better name for it than Trop Rock. And, and I've had a few private conversations. I try not to say this publicly, but I've had a few conversations, you know, privately where I'm like, look, that probably actually is a better name, but more descriptive of what it is than Trop Rock. But we've been pushing this name for 15, 16 years. We're not starting all over again. Sorry. <laughs> you know, well, like right. Well, right. And, and two, I mean, there probably is, but it has a lot more letters a lot more syllables and it's a lot harder to remember. Right. So it's even that, I mean, just from that standpoint, drop rock, boom, easy, mm -hmm. easy. And, and it's kind of fun to say, you know, and yeah, yeah, it's easy and it's remember it's memorable. And, and so, you know, yes, we are not rock and, and sometimes we're not even tropical, but um, I think it's just, it just kind of encompasses the thing. You get what it is. At one point when the DJ, you know, called it rock and roll, people were like, what the heck is rock and roll? It doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. We don't even think about it now. Right. That's just what it is. Right. And you know, the phrase rock and roll to some people that means black Sabbath to some people it means Billy Joel. Exactly. Or, you know, it's, there's a really wide range within the term rock and roll. So, and, you know, I think trap rock in general is getting a little more rock. I mean, Donnie Brewer definitely mm -hmm. comes from a rock and roll background. So mm -hmm. it's just interesting. So let's back up, though. Get us from Nashville to Myrtle Beach. That's a pretty important step there. Okay. So um, Tom moved back to Nashville. And the plan was, you know, I, again, I had this artist development deal. I had done my showcases. They were shopping me and they were negotiating for 
uh, record deal. So they had multiple offers and they were battling it out back and forth and they were lining up my team and mm-hmm. my management team and all of that stuff and going over like they wanted to change my name and they wanted to do this stuff. So they wanted to do all this stuff. And basically they told me while we are doing all of this stuff, you can't play anywhere because we want you to kind of disappear. And then we're going to kind of introduce you as this right. thing that we have determined and, you know, release you that break you that way. Right. So yeah. said, you can't, you can't work. Uh, really? So I said, well, this is, I'm here in Nashville. And they're telling me basically that I can't work. So um, out of the blue, a friend of Tom's uh, said, Hey, you know, I know you guys, you know, Michelle's got the thing going on and you're just trying to get back into Nashville. But he said, I've got a friend who's looking for a duo to be a house band in Myrtle beach. Do you know anybody? And so, you know, I, we looked at each other and said, well, the heck, you know what I mean? You, you know, I, I have to disappear. We might as well go to the beach for the summer. So, um, and we had never worked together really just for like maybe one or two times. Not a yeah. lot. I mean, it wasn't our intention to work together. So, um, we said, this will be fun. Let's work together. Let's just see what, what that would be like, you know? So we went to the beach with the contract with no name. We were just Tom and Michelle and we, we were supposed to play contracted to play 11 shifts a week. So we had a day and a half off. Yeah. Day and a half off. So I said, well, we're going to build up quite a repertoire because we are working like dogs. So, um, anyway, so we, we got over there and they said, well, you know what, you have to have a name because everybody here has a name. Like you can't just call yourself Tom and Michelle. So we didn't really have a lot of time to think about it. And we're like, well, we're here at the beach and it's kind of like a Buffett thing. So let's just call ourselves latitude. I mean, we didn't even have 24 hours to think about it. So yeah. And so we were, we became latitude and the intention was to finish out, just do the summer season there in Myrtle beach um, and then go back to Nashville. And then, um, I, things started to progress in a way that I didn't feel like what they were crafting me as was in alignment with the kind of music that I wanted to write or do, or the kind of image that I felt like I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so I I said, you know, we're away from Nashville, we're away from all these people who are running up behind us would be glad to have the opportunity that I have. I don't feel the pressure of that. And I said, you know what, we're, we're enjoying writing together. We're enjoying working together. You know, what if we just stay? And, and so we did. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. So yeah. the, as they were quote crafting you, getting you ready for, you know, yeah. whatever they wanted you to be, was yeah. it a situation where you were going to get to record and perform your own stuff? Or was this one of those oh, where yeah. like, here's the songs you're going to play. Be happy about it. Oh no. Oh no. So they were um, because this was an artist development deal with BMG. Like I said, they're now universal. So uh, they wanted the songwriter royalties. So they wanted the songs to be mine gotcha. for sure, for sure. And so they were bringing in, you know, they were, they were taking my songs. They were bringing in um, heavy hitter people to co-write with me. Um, but the type of stuff that they were picking from what we were coming up with was like, Oh man, I don't know. I, I just don't know. It's just <laughs> not me. You know, I mean, I, I write songs. They aren't necessarily for me. And that's the difference. You know, 
I, I was a songwriter. I was hired to be a songwriter, to write for men, to write for women, to write for whoever's recording. They give you these pitch sheets and they tell you who's looking for material and what type of material. And you just write songs according to the pitch sheet, you know? Wow. And so, so then when I would be in the meeting, they would say, well, is this song, did you write this song for you? Is this song for you? And I said, I just wrote the song, man. You know, like, I don't know who is for, <laughs> it's for the, it's for the person who can best sing it. I, I, if it's for me, good. If it's not for me, fine. Yeah. You, whoever is best for it. But a lot of times, you know, they are more like a male oriented song. They, they're meant to be that way. And I could co-write it, I guess. I mean, to write, rewrite it to be from a woman's perspective, but it wasn't, you know, so they, they would get frustrated with me from time to time because they felt like I wasn't writing songs for me. I was writing songs for my publishing deal, which they hired me to do. Right. So oh, it was kind of difficult. And they, and I mean, you, you've known me for a long time and they, they kind of had an idea of me more like a Trisha Yearwood type. And I okay. love her, but I am not her. And my style is not like that. Um, my no. personality is not like that. My energy is not like that. My, my wardrobe is not like that. I mean, at, at one point, and they wanted me to change my name and this kind of stuff. And I said, well, is there anything at all that you like about me to begin with? Because I don't, you know, the stuff I'm writing, you, you don't think is, is right. The stuff I'm doing, I don't even know why I'm here. I mean, there's a million talented people in Nashville who actually fit this mold that right. you have in mind. Why don't you go find them, right? Yeah. And, and I'll go to the beach. I, yeah, yeah. Well, because I had been working with Brenda Lee. Just prior, while this was all um, being negotiated, I had been working with Brenda Lee and her manager was helping me negotiate a lot of the contracts. And I, at the beginning of this, I remember saying to her, this, the image that they have, the idea that they have for me and the way the music they want me to play, I just don't, I don't know. I don't feel like it's me. And she said, honey, I've been singing rocking around a Christmas tree since I was 16 years old. And if you don't like this now, <laughs> you you shouldn't you shouldn't do it you should find the, sh the right thing you know but when yeah. you're in nashville there's so much pressure you know it's like take that record deal take it you know you've worked your whole life for this thing get in there do it and even if it's not the right thing people do it because they know somebody else would want it so bad and that it's really really hard to um turn away from an opportunity even if you even if you don't think it's for you because you know how precious it would be to so many other people. It's like, who am I to walk away from this? Right. Right. And, and my Nashville friends like, just take it, take the deal. And then maybe on the next record, you can kind of change shift over. I said, good luck. Once they know you as something, it's really, really hard to change, to change into something else. Very, very hard to do that. So um, yeah. So it, it took uh, me leaving Nashville and getting out of that system to really understand that I, I can, I can do, I can do. Okay. I can do. Okay. Outside of this. Yeah. And I can still exist and I can be creative and I can craft it on my own terms. Have uh, any of those songs you wrote in that period ever made it to a latitude album? Um, no. Wow. Because they're, they're not trap rock. Yeah. You know, well, you should Could, do I mean, it would be fun. It would be fun to do just an alternate project, probably of both Tom and I, uh, yeah. the songs that we 
had in our Nashville days, the songs that are over there in Nashville, you know, um, it would be interesting. There was a night, one night um, down here in Florida where we played at this place where they had a grand piano. And I said, let's do all our own songs that no one knows in the trap rock genre. I'm, I have a piano and yeah. let's do that. And, and that's the only time we have ever done anything, anything other than to working together, anything other than that, other than our John Denver show. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You sh- that would make a cool project. Yeah. Like, yeah, know? it would. Yeah. It's, we still write songs. We still write songs for Nashville. They're just not, um, you know, in the trap rock vein, like even check to the undertaker, I guess you consider that's a Nashville song. I wrote that if yeah. I hadn't met Earl, that never would have made any of our CDs. So I take that back. Uh, check to the undertaker. Yeah. It would be one of them. <laughs> You just made his whole yeah. week probably right there with that. So, <laughs> oh, that, but like I said, I said, well, I wrote this song by The Undertaker, you know, it's really not trap rock. And he's like, we'll just play it. So we did. And there you go. And the rest of it is history. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, y'all. This is Kitty Stedman from Drop Dead Dangerous. I want to thank you for listening to Trop Rock 101 podcast with Pirates and Poets. Pirates and Poets is a crucial platform for independent artists and writers, and they have been working tirelessly to make sure that we make it through this difficult time. Please show them your support as well by visiting piratesandpoets.net slash store or piratesandpoets.net slash donate. Cheers, y'all. So, uh, you're you're in Myrtle Beach now. Y'all are, are playing uh, on the beach. You're doing a lot of Buffett stuff. You're doing, you know, I'm assuming at this point you're writing, starting to take that coastal trap rock lean to it uh, that you just, you can't help but have if you're living near the water. So at what point did you hook up with a Parenthood Club or what point did you meet Jerry or James or, you know, how, how did y'all find your way into that early trap rock community? Well, as Before I mentioned, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as I mentioned, so we were playing 11 shifts a week. So we had one and a half days off and we had rented um, the lower level of a house that was on pilings that had been closed in and had an illegally permitted apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we were in there as a block from the beach. And so um, when we would have our, a little bit of time off that we had, we would go over to this beach bar. We could walk to it. And it was just, it was great. And it was our local kind of local hangout. And we started meeting local people because we were playing music for tourists. They'd come in for a week and they would leave. So we started, you know, meeting some local people. And um, when the manager there found out that we played music, he's like, you should play here. We're like, no, no. You know, we really like just hanging out here as people. We want this to be like our hangout place. We don't want to work here. We just want to hang out here. And he just kept saying, you know, I really think you should play some music here. And so um, when our contract ended for the summer, uh, reluctantly, I mean, he just, we caved and we said, okay, we'll play. And that is where uh, the Coast of Carolina Parrothead Club used to hang out. So that go. is where, and we, we had met a lot of them already because we were hanging out there. Um, so when we started playing and then they knew we were songwriters and they said, you got to start writing some music like this. So the very first song, 
pop rock song we wrote was about that manager from, it was Scotty's Beach Bar. He has since passed away and we wrote the song when he passed and it's called Smooth Sailing. Ah, that's where it came from. And that's the first Trop Rock song, yes, because he was a person who brought people together and we wanted to pay tribute to that legacy. And he introduced us to all of these fine people that have done literally everything uh, for us and, and put us on the map. And so, yep, the very first song was Smooth And the first Latitude album came out when? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I should have I should have pulled up Amazon. <laughs> I don't know, but but again, it was the result of his name was Terry Bach, and it was re- result of that song "Smooth Sailing." And they, you know, the the Coast of Carolina Parrot Club saying, you know, just you ought to write some more songs, put it, you know, put a CD out, you know. And we were excited, and we were there at the beach, and we made the commitment to leave Nashville, and so those songs just flowed because we were in that zone. We just that lifestyle was now ours. We weren't dreaming about the lifestyle. We were actually living it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, so uh, the permanent vacation album, Amazon has August 15th, 2001. <laughs> okay. That sounds right. <laughs> yeah. I'm so bad at numbers. I'm so bad at dates. I'm terrible at that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, uh, I mean, so now you're hooked up with the Coastal Carolina Paradise Club, and they probably sent you off to some neighboring Paradise Clubs. But I think the big question here is: is when did you first meet another trap rock artist and become part of this network that that y'all were linchpins in <laughs> at one point? Yeah. Um. Mm, Who was the first one? Of, there were a couple of events. One of them was the Pleasure Island uh, Paradise Club did a huge event uh, that's in North Carolina and they had us and they had just everyone under the sun at this thing. I mean, they had every, everyone under the sun at this thing. And so we met a lot of people there uh, for the first time. And then the other place was up in Putin Bay at flocking of the faithful. Flocking of the faithful. Mm-hmm. That was a, uh, I only went up there once, but it was quite the trip. <laughs> oh my gosh. The, unbelievable. I'm so sad that that event isn't happening anymore, but yeah. And well, in fact, it's at flocking of the faithful that Jerry and uh, Sonny Jim, James white and, and I, and Tom and a few others, we all stayed an extra day. And it was the first time that we actually had time to really just sit and talk, you know, cause usually we're listening to each other's music or maybe we're sharing, having a happy hour drink or something, but, not an extended amount of time. So we had a little time and we sat and talked and we talked about all of this, how we don't really have a name for what our music is and how, how can we uh, help people to find each other's music and things. And so really it was up there in Putin Bay that um, the seeds were planted for the Margarita Mafia, music musicians, artists and fans in the Lions, which is now the Trop Rock Music Yes, and okay, you said you're bad at dates, but what what was the official starting year for the mafia? Was it 2005? Again, I'm horrible. You're so horrible. I'm going to yeah. say probably I would have to get a t-shirt, my t-shirt out to look at This is it. what I get for kicking Tom know. out. <laughs> he doesn't know either. We, you know what? We had an argument over how many, not an argument, we had a, con, a discussion over how many years we had been married at one point. We both had to go out and get the... <laughs> 
We had to get the certificate out to figure out which one of us was right. Oh, wow. That's just, pretty bad. We are, we are. Oh, it's terrible. We are. Uh, we are musicians all the way. <laughs> OK, well, my first party girl was January 2006 and the mafia existed then. But I think it was like. You know, a year, maybe a year That's and a half. Probably old. right. That no, sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. So and then uh, I think, you know. I mean, obviously, y'all have made great contributions as songwriters and performers, but that contribution of this is who we are and giving everyone a flag to rally around. Like you said, it was called lots of things. I mean, even, even the first four or five years I was involved, trop rock was still not the word everybody used because y'all and everyone else, you know, was, tr was still trying to establish the term trop rock. And, uh, but, but giving the community and the genre a name to use and rally around I think is probably the single greatest contribution anybody has made in the entire community. Maybe the possible exception of like Jerry and Scott getting the whole thing started, you know? Well, I would but, say, yeah, I would say it had to start. It had to start with those two guys because it gave people a way to gather um, right. around the music they liked and then probably just taking it a step further and calling it something uh, instead of calling it Jimmy Buffett type music. Um, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's like the, that's a lot. Again, that's a lot of words and it doesn't really describe what it is either. You know, <laughs> right. because if you, if you don't know Jimmy Buffett's music and you only know Margaritaville, it doesn't really tell you much. Exactly. So, yeah. So I think probably the, the first would be and most important would be uh, the organization of everybody into the, the parenthood nation. And right. then. Um, just kind of deciding that there's enough now singer songwriters in this nation um, to uh, have it be worth calling it something. Yeah. And then, so it was the Margarita Mafia, which was a really fun name and a great logo. Um, <laughs> and, and Troy wrote the song, which was just, <laughs> you know, over the top. <laughs> but uh, at some point in there, it kind of became like, okay, we want to start the award show. And the, if I'm remembering right, we, you started the award show, but it was still ran by the Margarita Mafia. And then at some point, you kind of transitioned the name to Trop Rock Music Association. I guess to kind of match the awards, which are always the Trop Rock Music Awards. Well, actually, no. Um, the reason why we decided to change the name was because um, we wanted to legitimize the genre um, for ASCAP, VMI, and for licensing and other opportunities so that when people in films and, and other types of, of advertising, or whatever, are looking for a certain type of music, it would be easier for them to find it. And if we had an association like a blues association or country music association or something like that, it would legitimize that the talent pool is large enough and is, is of good enough quality that it merits having an organization and right. an awards show. But the awards show was really just to give credibility to the genre for eyes that are outside of the genre. It wasn't really because um, we felt like giving each other awards. It was because we, we wanted people outside or that are industry peers that are in other genres to understand that this is legitimately something. Right. It's it's really not. Um, I mean, even after what I think we just had the fourteenth award show, 
Um, I mean, a- as someone who has won an award, it's nice, but it's really, like you said, it's not just about patting each other on the back. It's, it's about, to me, recognizing hard work. It's about um, the up and coming people kind of giving them something to shoot for, you know, um, as the, as the award show became a bigger thing, you could see the guys who started taking the songwriting process more seriously, the production of the records more seriously. And that raised, as y'all used to say, raised everybody up. You know, um, the more people who take it serious, the higher the boat is going to rise for everyone. Well, and yeah, a high tide raises all ships. So, so yeah, absolutely. And the other, the other thought, and, and obviously it's working was that calling it this and having a genre and having an association will attract some really high quality songwriters to the genre. And now we have, you know, the Aaron Shears, the Tom Shepherds, the, the Nashville songwriters yeah. who are giving this a serious look. Right. I mean, that's how, you know, Paul Overstreet is and started, Paul Overstreet, of course, started Paul, hanging yeah. around with us. Why? I do yeah, not know, but it's sure cool, you know. Well, but, I mean, yeah. that's that's how they found us. It's because they found the TRMA website, you know, yep. and, and contacted Mark Friedman. So, yeah, it yeah. worked. Still yeah, working. I mean, that that was the idea, you know, to have high, high quality songwriting going on here just to boost the whole thing up. And like you said, to encourage people to do better. You know, I mean, we all we all can learn and we all can do better and we all can be inspired. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I think it's worked beautifully and continues to work, you know, and conti- will continue to work for a long time. Um, so I want to kind of bring this up. Uh, you know, Donnie kind of dubbed jerry the godfather of trop rock and if that's the case then i think you should be the godmother of trop rock (laughs) okay (laughs) and i'm going to say i'm going to tell you why you won the first you won the first four or five maybe six i don't know no female vocalist awards uh, after the award show started and you caught a little bit of shit from some people because you were organizing the awards and winning them um I don't think, especially looking back, people who have come around the last five or 10 years, at that point, you were really the only female. (laughs) That's right. right. Who was performing original music, you know? It's silly. It's ridiculous. Okay. So we created categories, um, you know, that are in normal award shows um, before we had a lot of people in some of them. Female songwriters and also duos. There weren't a lot of duos either. There were right. bands and solo, but we put those those categories in there because you you have to, <laughs> you mm-hmm. have to, you have to. So yes, it's 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 silly, and it, in it in a way, you know, maybe um, the people who weren't really involved enough in it to really understand um, what was going on there uh, didn't quite understand it. But um, hey, it is what it is, you know. I mean, yeah. I I feel like. I had a higher purpose for creating this thing and it wasn't for my own gain. And it's proven by the fact that if anything, it probably hurt us. It probably hurt our career for starting this genre. Oh, because I have people, you know, didn't want to, it didn't want to be uh, influenced by having us perform there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it kind of sealed the lid in the coffin of our career a little bit, but um, my intentions were good. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that, you know, from maybe like a 2008 to 2015 time period that y'all's dedication to the bigger picture of the mafia and TRMA definitely hurt latitude as a band. 
I mm-hmm. think there's no question about that. So it did, but you know, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't like to, I don't really like to talk about that <laughs> yeah, because, what? because it's, it's just, everything goes the way it's supposed to go. And you know, it's unfortunate. And I don't like that because I'm friends with everybody and I love everybody. And so I, people can interpret things any way that they want. And, you know, that's their prerogative. Exactly. You know, I, uh, this is kind of where I'm coming back around to the godmother uh, title. <laughs> At least just not the grandmother. <laughs> I must, yeah, you're not Brit. You're not Brit. He's the he's the grandfather of Trop Rock, you know. So, um, but I think I think it was 2015 when someone won the female vocalist award besides you, and I'm sitting out in the crowd at the award show, and uh, they announced Brittany Kingery won, and some it, it was somebody that I didn't know was sitting you know next to me. He said, "Oh, I bet Michelle Becker's pissed." And, and I said, I said, trust me, she's the happiest. She might be happier than Brittany. Trust me on this. You know, it was like, <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I kept telling people Aretha Franklin won, you know, like the Grammys a whole pile of times in a row. And I'm sure she was the same way. Like, please, yeah. really? Come on. You know, I, no, I know. I know. And, I was so happy. I was like, thank goodness. I am so happy to pass that gauntlet. Yes. And and now uh, I, this is coming around because I would like to hear you talk some about all the females we have had come in the genre in the last few years and continue to come in. It has to be very, I think, satisfying and rewarding to you to see, you know, we had Brittany and Coley that was kind of the second wave. And now we've got Erica Sunshine Lee and Aubrey Woolett and lots of folks. So talk about that, uh, the, the rise of female artists that we've seen in the community. Well, obviously I'm a fan, right? Right. The, the thing that's really hard, I think, as, as, a, as a female singer-songwriter is you just really want these people to be good, right? Because they're representing women in an industry that is primarily male, whether it is in trap rock or in any, any kind of music. When right. I go out and I see that there's a, a female singer in a band, I'm like, oh, please let her be good. Please let her be good. Because, you know, so you hate it, but sometimes she's like the girlfriend of the band guy and she's just in there, you know, it's like, Oh no, 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 please. Cause you're representing all of us. So, um, right. so yes, we have some extraordinary talent coming in here now uh, that are some women singer songwriters. And I, I could not be, could not be happier about that. But, but overall, I think the whole talent level has come up in the genre. And so I'm just, I'm just happy about that because we, we want the genre to continue, right. you know, and it's only going to do that. It has nothing to do with female writers or female singers or male singers. It has to do with the quality of the music in general. You're right. And like you said, that's every year we see that, that level rising, you know, the, uh, and I, and I don't think it's actually, a talent thing it's how hard are people trying you know how much if 15 years ago if if two-star effort got you into the big events and played on the radio stations that's all a lot of people were going to put into it now it takes four-star effort to get into those same events and on those same radio stations and it just it brings everything up i think that's a really good point yeah i agree yeah so okay let's talk about tom for a minute um (laughs) let's do that uh, I I want to hear your thoughts and uh, your experiences because um, y'all have been a duo latitude for so long. The John Denver thing how how cool is that for you to get to see him take you know be in the spotlight? It's his project. I'm sure you have your influences. I have no doubt about that. 
but it's his project. He's out front. You're you're the side woman for the show. Talk about that and how different that is from Latitude. And and for I know a lot of people, myself included, have never seen that show. Want to see it really bad. So kind of just talk about that show in general from okay. from the the wife slash side person. Okay. Well, let's just let's just first talk about how that show even came to be. Yeah. So of course, as I mentioned, Tom was living in Colorado, and and trust me knew a fair amount of John Denver music. That's why he <laughs> loved Colorado and all of that stuff. He just, he's, that's his guy. Okay. He just is James Taylor and all that kind of stuff. But John Denver primarily his guy because he has a voice similar. So right. he can cover those songs and you know, you gravitate toward the music you can sing, you know I mean? Let's face it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but John Denver was a big reason why he picked up the guitar in the first place. He was intrigued by that music. So Anyway, we were um, performing at the Navigator and Tom sang Sailor, which a lot of you know, and we took a break and um, one of the people came over and he said, hey, my God, you sound an awful lot like John Denver. Do you know any John Denver music? Could you play a couple of John Denver songs when you come back? And Tom said, oh, sure, I'll play some John Denver. (laughs) So, you know, we played a couple more songs, some John Denver songs and some stuff, took a break, same guy, and he's going, come over here. He says, listen. I'm the theater um, technical director of the Cultural Center Theater in Port Charlotte. And he said, if you put a show together, I will book your John Denver tribute. So we weren't trying to have a John Denver tribute. We were, it was just, it was handed to us. And now now we're thinking, okay, we got to do this. I mean, like, we really got to do this. So, um, so we put together a band and it was all trap rockers, you know, it was all Jimmy <laughs> Pappas. It was Skeet Mavis, you know, back in the day. And it was Gary Janko who was with um, Sonny Jim at the time. So they're all trap rockers. And we did this thing thinking we're going to do it one time, sold it out. And people started passing the passing it around. And we ended up um, doing the show with symphonies and PBS special and all this stuff. But, um, this goes back to the beginning, right? So I, um, my first show in Nashville was with Opryland. It was a show. So I'm right. familiar with shows versus gigs. I can do both. I can do sessions. I can do show. I can do gig. Whatever. I can spin a lot of plates. Let's put it that way. So I knew how to put together two sets that are more like a show. So I wrote the show. I wrote the show around Tom because yeah. I have the unique ability to know his strengths. So right. it's even better than just writing a show and putting people in it. I was writing a show for him. So the show was written for him and it, it just showcases him. It showcases his songwriting. Oh, Colorado is in the show mm-hmm. and Sailor is in the show. An impersonation show. It's just kind of pays tribute to how much he loves that music so much so that it influences his songwriting and we show that in the show. So for me, um, to sit in this over on the side and play keyboard in the band and watch him do this. That's his best thing. I mean, yeah. that's his, that showcases his voice. And I'm proud that I could create a vehicle that showcases him that way. And I love being in a band. I mean, Tom came from the single, you know, singer songwriter, just solo guy. I always had a bunch of people around me in a band. So to be in a band, even as a backup singer or a musician, I, I love that. So, yeah. So there were some people like, oh, my gosh, how do I wonder how Michelle feels about sitting over on this side? I, I could not <laughs> be happier. It makes me 
I love it. He, it fits him like a glove and he loves it and the audiences love it. And, and I'm proud, proud to be on the sidelines. Yeah. And you're right. It's, it's kind of full circle. He left Colorado to, to be with you and then y'all ended up on the beach and then, <laughs> then he got to do a John Denver tribute. I mean, that's funny how it came about. I mean, I just always assumed that y'all had the idea and then made it happen. So, Oh, we haven't had any ideas ever. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God. We, it's like, no, like I said, we ended up at Scotty's beach bar and they said, Hey, you know, we're the parrot head club. You should write some songs. We wrote a song. And then they said, Hey, you should go to this event. And we went to that event. And they said, Hey, you should go to Key West. And we went to Key West. And then, you know, somebody <laughs> said, Hey, you should do a John Denver tribute. And we did that. Uh, I say we followed the music. Yeah, makes that's... absolutely followed the music. I mean, we really did. I mean, it wasn't meant for me to have that record deal. It was meant for me to follow the music, and I I continue to do that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one thing I do want to point out about the John Denver is y'all are playing theaters and art centers. You are not playing bars or even events and festivals you are playing real music venues and music halls with oh, yeah. pretty big crowds i mean which is my old life like i said it all it all comes back <laughs> it just all comes back around that was my old life hey tom can you turn the light on over here so yeah so it all comes back around and even too like when tom was with the new christy minstrels and things like that Ooh, hey how are you so when tom <laughs> was with the new christy minstrels and things you know he was playing in large pack centers and stuff so we we both um you know it started out small and got big and then got small and then got big again. And now <laughs> we are small and big. So we're like playing at house concerts and then thousand seat theaters. Yeah. So, so we're big and small and, and everything in the middle, which is the best because it's the best of the things that we love. Right. So I want to start winding this down, but before we get to the rapid fire questions, I had a, a question from, uh, I kind of put out on Facebook, you know, that we were going to talk yeah. and it's a question that I've asked both of y'all before, but never on tape. So, uh, what, what is the, the balance of Tom and Michelle, a married couple and Tom and Michelle who are performers together and business partners together? How do you balance that? That's hard. But, you know, like I said, we were a long distance relationships so we went from never seeing each other <laughs> to always seeing each other <laughs> and I guess I guess the way and you know I'm sure there are other people that have uh, businesses with their spouses like like Jerry does Jerry and Mary you know they have a business together so um, it's the same thing you just have to say okay you are stronger at this you do this I'm stronger at this I do this you know uh, we both hate this which one of us is going to do it you know that that kind of thing and you just you just work it out, but it's, it's really hard um, to have it not encroach into every corner of your life, despite right. your best efforts. So we could be eating dinner and then it would be like, Oh, did you follow up with that person that was asking? It's like, no, we said we weren't going to talk about it, you know, and, and it happens. It's just, it's just part of it. Yeah. So uh, uh, Tom, I asked Tom Shepard that one time about him and Coley and, and he said something along the lines of, you know, the front of the RVs for Bark and the back is, I mean, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was like, you know, when I'm driving, I think that's what it was when he was driving, like Coley will have the computer doing work, but once they stop, they're done. You know, that was like how they kind of handled the, the when to talk business, when to work was when Tom was driving, Coley would take notes on the computer and that's how they made it work. So, and you have to, and then too, Coley has a side hustle and I do too. 
Yeah. So, so you have to um, balance that too. Tell, tell them about the side hustle real quick. My side hustle? Yes, ma'am. Oh, I am an executive director with Color Street, which puts me at the top 1% of the company. And I sell Color Street, which is a uh, nail polish that applies like a sticker. It's too crazy. And it's, it is a, it's got 60 patents and it's going global. And I got in at the beginning. It's only a three-year-old company. So it's pretty wow. exciting. Yeah, I have no clue. Check it out. It's uh, Island Girl. Uh, it's, oh, God. It's islandgirlmichelle.com. You can check okay. it out there. I have no clue what all that means, but ladies, get on it. <laughs> it's, it's nail polish. Okay. I, I still don't really know what that means, but yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll publish your nails. I'll get you down there in Key West. I'll put some nail polish. Okay. Let's, Funny, let's Jim, do it. Funny Jim likes it. We've, we've nailed him a couple of times. He likes it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we always close with some rapid fire questions. So if you're ready, I will, I will start firing at you. Fire away. What is your favorite Jimmy Buffett song? I have to say Coast of Carolina. Uh, that's, that's currently at the top of my list, so. Is it? Uh, what's your favorite cocktail? Mai Tai. Ooh, that's a kind of complicated one. But <laughs> we get people, but the standard answer is rum and coke. That's what I get from about uh, half people. So, well, it's yeah. rum. It's rum. It is rum. But but it's it's definitely uh, super rum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your uh, so excluding latitude songs? What's your favorite song by an independent trap rock artist? Rum and Pensacola. You're the first person to answer that. You win the award. <laughs> it's my fault. Well, you know that. I mean, Tom and I cover it. It's our favorite. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, in my opinion, the, the most underrated Jerry Diaz song ever. I, I so, love it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, favorite beach? Mm. I would say any beach in Tahiti. <laughs> any beach in Tahiti. Let's let's go there. All right. One particular harbor. There you go. Uh, what is a uh, book that you think everyone should check out and read? Uh, I think, uh, what's the, the Dave Ramsey book, the, the book about getting out of debt. Um, I can't think of the name. Tom and I uh, tackled that book and we have been debt free as long as we've been married other than our mortgages. Cool. Yeah. So Dave Ramsey, check it out. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite Buffett album, full album, start to finish? I hate that because that's that kind of you put certain ones on for different moods. You, you, you can know, have like more that. than more than one answer is perfectly acceptable. Let's just go with the white sport coat because that one seems to be the one we keep pulling out. Okay, white sport coat and pink crustacean. Yeah, and the big one. Uh, you and Tom are not eligible for this. <laughs> if you were going to build a Mount Rushmore of trap rock artists, what four people would you put on it? Oh, cr oh, for crying out loud. Uh, well, it's got to be Jim Morris, Sonny Jim, uh, Jerry. And then it gets hard because the, the fourth place is tough. You know, I don't know. Uh, yeah. The fourth spot always gets everybody. I, I know I know a lot of people would probably say Donnie Brewer, but I'm just going to say Brent Burns. Uncle Brent. Yeah. I talked to him on the phone today. I'm going to say Brent. 
Yeah. All right. Just, just from going from like who built this thing on different levels, because he, he added such a great comedy element to this thing. And he, he gave a unique, um, gives a unique twist to this that no one else does. And so I feel like he belongs up in there because he's kind of really um, coming at it from a different place. These four guys come at it from a completely different place. Those four guys, as much as they have in common, are all four very different people. You are. Yeah. I mean, musically, personally, they're all great guys, but yeah, all very different for sure. Yeah. I just feel like their contributions all stand uh, uniquely, uniquely. I don't think anybody can make an argument about any of those guys. So uh, and the, the final thing here is we're going to add one more face. It is a offstage non-musician member of the community radio event. Anybody like that that you would add? Next to those four guys. Ooh. I, again, that would change from moment to moment. Just because I'm having this conversation with you, I would have to say um, uh, Pam and Earl. Earl. Pam and Earl. Earl Bernhardt. From yeah. Tropical Isle. Mm-hmm. So. Who uh they and they were they were big big supporters of uh, flocking to the faithful as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I think they got this way before a lot of other venue owners and a lot of other people did, and what before there was radio. I mean, I'm just I'm picking people who I feel like were really part of moving this thing forward, not people that are currently players right. in this thing. But if you're building a Mount Rushmore, you got to build from the ones who really built this thing. And, right. and I, I feel like they were so influential. I mean, with, with party gras and every, all of their contributions and their generosity and willingness to be part of this, this thing. I just feel like they, I would put them up there. Yeah. All right. I like that answer. Well, uh, Michelle Becker from latitude founders of Margarita mafia, TRMA, however you want to put it. Uh, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for everything you've done for the community and the genre over the years. And, uh, just appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And we will get to Tom about a year from now. So, Okay, his story will be completely different. I love you to pieces, and I hope I see you in person really soon. Yes, ma'am. Key West. Thank you much. All right. Take Thank care. You.